0: Hello, I'm Eben Novi Williams,
1: and I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Scott is off for Columbus Day, so we are going to run through today's top stories. Without him, we miss you, Scott. We really do. Beginning with a look at the XFL. Evan, the season kicks off in February. And it looks like tickets are affordable. We could get in this thing and get some goal line seats. And uh, so are the players' salaries along with it.
0: Yeah, so two kind of pretty big pieces of news that came out of the XFL 2020 last, uh, last week, one of which being, as you said, all the eight teams announced their season ticket packages, and they are clearly trying to go with an affordable model. I think every team has a base uh, cheapest season tickets. These are five five home games. Every team has one that's a total of $100, except for the New York team, which I think is 125 right. uh, But either way, you're looking at $20, $25 uh, per game for your season ticket package. Uh, that is a far cry from what the NFL is right now.
1: Yeah, I was looking at some of the names of the uh, eight XFL teams. How can you not like <laughs> some of these the Houston Roughnecks.
0: (laughs) The Roughnecks have a great logo, too. (laughs) It's Uh, good. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're trying to take, you know, the XFL a very different approach than the AAF, you know, the the football league that folded earlier this year after just uh, a couple weeks of games. Uh, The AAF was in a number of cities, Memphis, Birmingham, that don't have NFL franchises. The XFL, as Oliver Luck, you know, explained to us last year, they're taking the opposite approach. All eight of these cities, minus, I think, St. Louis, which just lost its NFL team. Uh, has an NFL team. A lot of them are playing in NFL venues already. Um, so you know, taking a, a cheaper ticket approach, I think is is a way to maybe try to draw in a number of fans early on. Who think, you know, you know, there's no other football going on right now. It's 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 February. It's March, uh, and I could take my family to this game pretty cheaply. Maybe we give it a shot and see how it is.
1: This is a lot like if you take it, and no insult to the XFL. But this is a lot like if you take your family to see a minor league baseball game. You can go and you can have a lot of fun. I mean, I'm seriously the 50 yard line seats are a hundred dollars. Is I mean, how can you not go wrong with
0: that? Yeah, and it's it's a good point to mention minor league baseball because we we've talked a bit about how major league baseball attendance is going down, kind of precipitously, right? It's kind of a big problem for the league. Minor league baseball attendance skyrocketing, yeah, right. And I and I agree with you. I think one of the reasons that's happening is because you know the the it's becoming kind of cost prohibitive to go to a lot of major sporting events, but minor sporting events and the XFL. I don't think they would be that offended to think of themselves as kind of in that tier. Uh, those are a, lot, a, a much better proposition.
1: I was thinking about uh, the the people that are playing in the XFL and the salaries involved. Mm. Uh, what is it like? About fifty-five thousand.
0: Yeah. So this is this is a much lower number than than I was expecting. I do wonder if the fact that the AAF is no longer active means that you know there's less competition than i think maybe Vince McMahon and WWE expected to have when they launched this league which you know essentially means that you can you, you can price things a little bit lower $55,000 for for the season that's what the average player is going to be paid and that includes you know your base salary if you're on the team throughout the entire year your bonuses for winning and your bonuses for staying on the roster uh that's not a, that's not a lot of money right the the NFL base is Four ninety-five, right? So obviously we're talking, you know, apples and oranges. There, the AAF when they signed players, that was a three-year, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars contract, right? So you know they're coming in way below what the AAF was, and obviously the AAF had a lot of financial problems, right? So so maybe they're being a bit smarter with their money. Um, but my big question is, that's the average. Obviously players are going to be paid more than that. What are they going to do to sweeten the pot for the couple, quote-unquote, stars or big names that they need to get? Um, I'm, I'm very curious to see kind of what the top end of salary looks like and not just the average.
1: Yeah, when we were talking with Oliver Luck, who is one of the head honchos of the XFL several months ago, about what you need to do to make viewers watch this league, one of the things that he mentioned is that maybe you'll have some helmet cams in this. Hmm. And, and I would like to see that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you're right. The The XFL is yet to kind of really lay out what is going to be so different about its brand of football than the NFL's, right, or colleges. Um, and you're right. There's going to be, I think, a lot of kind of new, innovative media, you know, microphones, maybe helmet cams, things like that. I think they're going to try to present... The football in a different way, and, and and it makes sense, right? The the XFL is a much smaller organization than the NFL. You know, they've got less to risk if they do things that don't work. You know, they they can be a bit more nimble uh, than the NFL can, for sure.
1: Uh, up next, let's talk about uh, Nike ending its Oregon project, which supported elite track athletes. But the company is closing up shop on the project after a top coach was banned for violating anti-doping rules.
0: Yeah, kudos to Scott who who broke the story last week. Um, the uh, Nike has had for you know almost twenty years back since back in two thousand one they launched the Oregon project, which was a, a team of elite runners, um, yeah. people who follow track know them very well, right? It's it's kind of the cream of the crop. Uh, and Alberto Salazar, you know, who was a, a longtime marathon champion, was the coach of the Oregon Project, the co-founder. Uh, as we discussed two weeks ago, you know, he just was given a, a pretty hefty, a four-year ban from track and field uh, by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency uh, for, for violations of their anti-doping code. Uh, and the big question after that happened was what happens with this elite Nike running team, right? It, it was kind of a new idea when it happened. And it is still or was still, because it's no longer in existence, but was this kind of unique partnership between sporting goods company and elite running team, right? That it was based out of Nike's Beaverton uh headquarters. Uh, you know, they had a very tight relationship, obviously, with the apparel maker in terms of, you know, they had their own logo Head and yeah, word. selling all that. Um, but you know, in, in the aftermath, Mark Parker, the CEO of Nike, decided, you know, we can't, we can't really have this team in this, in this form anymore.
1: Well, what what is sad about this is that there are a lot of innocent people involved in this that are going belly up, and uh, they had nothing to do with any of the uh, doping uh, controversy.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's worth noting that you know, despite the fact that the coach was given you know a pretty hefty. Ban from from the sport. None of the actual athletes were, were were said to be involved in in what he was doing. There was no evidence that he gave banned substances to to any of them. Um, and you're right. This is a this is a again. It's an elite stable of athletes. Uh, Sifan Hassan, if I'm pronouncing her name right, is a Dutch runner. She's one of the top young uh, runners in track and field right now. Donovan Brazier. Just set the U.S. record in the four, the 800 meters at, at the World Championships. Uh, all these people, Galen Rupp, you know, who's been with the Nike Oregon Project, perhaps even their most famous athlete uh, f- for a very long time. Um, all these guys need and, and women need to find new coaches, and you know, we're not that far away from Olympic trials and the Olympics. Right, we're less than a year out from from Tokyo, so the, the timing is is kind of tough. Um, I, Nike obviously doesn't make a decision like this. Lightly, but you know the, the, it does make you wonder how much, if at all, it's, this may change Nike's kind of dominant position as a sponsor in track and field.
1: And finally, Evan, let's talk about this story, and a story that you are totally connected with, with sources telling you that the NFL could boost the amount of money prospective NFL owners could be allowed to borrow. If it happens, it looks like this could open up ownership to a much larger pool of investors. Uh, it, I guess the way I could compare this is, when you're going out and you're buying a car, and you go out and you're trying to get a loan and when the dealership asks you, well, how much are you going to put down? Yep. And you say this amount and uh, no, we got to put at least 20% down or this, that, whatever. Well, this is along the same
0: line. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the NFL has always been, you know, they've always been pretty stingy in terms of how much (laughs) a prospective owner is allowed to to finance in debt. I mean, your example is exactly right. I mean, oftentimes if you buy a car, you're putting 20% down, right? And you're financing the other 80% with, with a loan, right? Same with you know a mortgage on a house, et cetera. Uh, the NFL has been uh, almost the exact opposite, right? Traditionally, as it is right now, you're only allowed 350 million dollars of debt if you're going to finance buying a team, right? And if you're buying a team at the $3 billion valuation, which is like roughly the league average, that's only 12% in debt, right? So the fact that all these teams and NBA is going through the same thing, the fact that valuations are getting so big, you're kind of, limiting the pool of people who can afford to buy these things right when, when NFL teams were maybe a billion dollars maybe a couple hundred million dollars you know there were a lot of people out there who could afford to to bid on one now that you know the average team is worth around three billion there's just not that many uh, and the NFL in addition to this debt has you know a requirement that 30 percent of it has to be in cash up front which again is kind of limiting for people so I think NFL owners are, are sitting there as NBA owners are doing and saying listen you know we want Bidding wars for our teams, right? It helps all of us. The moment we want to sell, um, we, we'd like to have a, a wider perspective pool of of rich people who want to own these things. And how do we go about doing that, right? So the NFL, right now, according to sources, they're they're considering expanding from 350 350 million to a billion, right? Which is a huge jump. It's almost three times, um, and that will dramatically change the amount of people who are willing to able to buy, and also probably. Get, it, get some bidding wars the next time one of these teams is up for sale.
1: Well, that brings up another point, too. I think it opens up a market to the person or the organization doing the loaning. I mean, if you're you're going to loan a billion dollars to somebody, I, I want to know who's in the market to do that loan.
0: That's a great point. And I'm sure the, the, the sports bankers out there that, that, that we talk with a lot, you know, and some of whom have been on the show um uh, i'm sure they look at this and they you know their eyes widen a little bit right the 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 last nfl team to sell the the carolina panthers you know which people were kind of pegging around the 3 billion dollar range for a while ended up selling for 2.2 uh there was kind of some struggle about people getting there was a lot of interest but people who had enough money and getting the group together to do it it didn't actually end up being that kind of vibrant a process. And I think that is exactly the kind of thing that that NFL owners are looking at right now and saying, look, if I have to be the next one to sell... For whatever reason, or if my family has to be the next one to sell for for whatever reason, we'd like to have a different process than the way this one turned out.
1: This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Evan Novi williams Scott will be back with us on Wednesday.
0: We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. And you can join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your time. Let's